podcast, we will be discussing the best practice management of post-operative edema. Let's introduce our hosts, Riley, Megan, Belinda, Natalie, Sammy and Yasmina, who will be taking you through our findings. Post-operative edema is a normal and common physiological process that is inevitable following any trauma to the body, which in this case is surgery. Edema often results when there is excessive interstitial fluid accumulating, caused by an imbalance between capillary function and the drainage of lymph. Post-surgical edema can bother some patients and can have an impact upon their daily activities, as well as the potential to negatively affect the aesthetic outcome of each procedure. And that's why it's important to have management strategies which can reduce the occurrence or the duration of post-operative edema. Management strategies such as nutrition, manual lymphatic drainage, compression garments and medications are all indicated to be beneficial in collaboratively managing post-operative edema. In addition, it's also important to understand the role of comorbidities such as diabetes and the relationship it has with post-surgical edema. This is important given that between 2018 to 2019, 758,000 patients underwent elective surgery in public hospitals, which had increased from 2014 to 2015 by 2.1%, according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare. In some patients, post-operative edema is bound to arise, and therefore it's important to know how to manage this. In order to get the information provided in this podcast, a search of multiple online databases such as Cochrane, PubMed, Medline, Sinal was conducted. Studies that were systematic reviews, meta-analysis or randomised control trials were included first and foremost. In the absence of these, standard peer review journals were sourced. Any study not published in English prior to 2010 was excluded. Thanks, Yasmina. Firstly, what is diabetes? Diabetes is a common disease in which sufferers have higher blood sugar levels compared to a non-diabetic individual. There are two types of diabetes. Type 1, usually the less common form, where the pancreas produces almost no insulin. Insulin aids in regulation of blood sugar levels within the body. Then we have the more common type, type 2 diabetes. It's characterized by the body not being able to produce enough insulin as it should be producing. Sometimes type 1 diabetes is referred to by sufferers as having no key, and type 2 is similar to having a broken key. Why does diabetes affect the wound healing process? A diabetic patient has to suffer a prolonged wound healing recovery process because it instigates a slower healing rate, as there is a considerably high level of glucose in their bloodstream. Therefore, that slows down the delivery of nutrients and oxygen that is being transported to the cells that are assisting in the wound repair process. As an example, my father, who is a type 2 diabetic, recently had eye surgery for a retinal detachment. Following his surgery, the whole right side of his face was swollen, meaning he had post-operative edema, for a longer period of time than what would have been expected for a non-diabetic patient. The surgeon asked him to complete post-operative care for an extra week, given his slow healing that's associated with his diabetes. With regards to research and post-operative edema for diabetics, There seems to be no evident research about any further treatments other than the ones recommended for a regular non-diabetic patient, which will be discussed later on in this podcast. For diabetics, it's only the matter of duration of the wound healing process. However, diabetes does link back to nutrition. 
Research states that approximately 11 million Australians suffer from a chronic disease such as obesity or diabetes. 31% of these diseases could have been prevented by reducing exposure to factors that contribute to high body mass and high blood pressure, for example, alcohol and an unhealthy diet. Nutrition often plays a role in numerous health conditions such as hypertension, kidney diseases, diabetes and obesity. Thank you and I'll now pass you on to Belinda to chat to you more about that. Thank you, Nat. So I'm going to be taking you through the role of nutrition in postoperative edema. So first and foremost, what is the importance of nutrition in postoperative edema and is it often considered in a patient's treatment plan? Well, in managing postoperative edema, interventions of nutrition can prevent further losses of nutrition in a time of increased metabolic demand due to the stresses and trauma associated with surgery. Despite this and the abundance of research into nutrition and healing, a patient's diet is often neglected in a treatment plan and not considered by health professionals until chronic diseases or delayed healing actually occurs. You know, so what are the benefits in healing of certain nutrient groups and can certain food groups actually be more beneficial versus others? Well, yes, proteins, fats, carbohydrates, water and antioxidants are the main nutrients which have established benefits in wound healing and anti-inflammatory mechanisms which, given the etiology of edema, can actually be very beneficial in reducing postoperative edema and meeting the increased energy demands of healing. Immune cells require protein in their development and ability to mount an immune response, preventing infection and aggravation of postoperative edema. Amino acids, such as arginine and glutamine, have roles in stimulating inflammatory responses and are required where the demand is metabolically increased due to trauma, stress and surgery thus reducing oedema formation. Glutamine in particular contains glucose, which is utilized as an energy source for white blood cells. Some good sources of protein are beef, chicken, Brussels sprouts, parsley, and spinach. However, moving aside from protein, carbohydrates and fats, preferably polyunsaturated and monounsaturated fats, both address the increased energy demand needed to aid the inflammatory response, cellular activity and angiogenesis during healing. These can be found in oily fish, nuts, seeds, and vegetables. Carbohydrates are also involved in production of energy, cell structure, and immune function. Cereals, fruits, legumes, vegetables, whole grain breads, and nuts are a good source of dietary carbohydrates. Antioxidants, such as vitamin C and vitamin E, are also indicated to have anti-inflammatory effects and improve the overall immune function. These are found in nuts, seeds, and vegetable oil. Aside from these food nutrient supplementations, water is actually very vital in healing tissues for perfusion and oxygenation, which in turn prevents oedema. In terms of the amount of research that has been done into nutrition and the benefits it has in postoperative oedema, well, nutrient addition is encouraged and considered to be a relatively harmless postoperative addition. However, there isn't a whole lot of significant evidence that explicitly indicates that there is a significant benefit between nutrition addition and postoperative edema, um, with medication possibly being a more effective treatment. But I'll pass you over to Yasmina, who's going to take you through the role of medications and what you should be aware of when it comes to medications and postoperative edema. Thank you kindly, Belinda. Now, coming from a dermal clinician's perspective, it is important to note that prescribing and interfering with medical regimes is beyond our scope of practice. However, 
It is essential to understand the effects of different medications in order to assist with post-operative oedema management. But what is the mechanism of action? Well, oedema medication is prescribed by medical practitioners to suppress the inflammatory response, and this is usually taken three to four days after surgery. This is done in order to prevent further chronic inflammation or any other unwanted comorbidities. This is simply done by controlling the wound for a limited amount of time. The synthesis of mediators such as chemokine gradients will prog progressively dilute, resulting in the lack of neutrophils to the site of injury. Common medications have anti-inflammatory abilities to cause changes throughout the different stages of the inflammatory response. One of the common medications prescribed is steroids. This works by decreasing the migration and stimulation of neutrophils and macrophages. This is done by inhibiting phospholipase A2 through the cyclooxygenase pathway. This suppresses the production of inflammatory single signals, resulting in minimal tissue damage. Another common medication prescribed is non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. This plays an important role in the later stages of the inflammatory cascade, inhibiting the enzyme cyclooxygenase 2. This interferes with the archaeodonic cascade and blocks this enzyme from being produced, resulting in the reduction of swelling. Antibiotics is also prescribed to reduce sebaceous unit size as well as prevent infection. Alternative treatment options, such as orthogonic supplements known as venoplant, consists of plant-based ingredients. This anti-oedema drug suppresses pro-inflammatory prostaglandins, increases macrophage activity, as well as decreased permeability within capillaries. As with most research, complications are bound to occur. And even though there is a lack of synchronized treatment guidelines used across all practitioners when managing post-operative edema, this mainly depends on the practitioner's discretion and preference for prescribing medications for a short term only. However, research is being investigated on bioabsorbable steroid implants as a new method. This could be the new phase of the future to administer topical steroids for prolonged periods of time with minimal side effects. But how does a dermal clinician assist in post-operative management? Well, dermal clinicians may work alongside with a doctor and manage wounds or suggest other treatment options after recovery. And some of these medications may be light sensitive or a contraindication for non-invasive treatments. And that's why it's essential to be aware of the implications caused. All right. Thank you, Yasmina. In conjunction with the use of medications, manual lymphatic drainage, also known as MLD, was also considered in our research. MLD is a type of massage that uses gentle, slow and repetitive head movements to stretch the skin and move it in a specific way to encourage drainage of excess lymphatic fluid in the body. The mechanism of stimulating the lymphatic system with MLD will cause an increase of lymphatic circulation, accelerate the removal of waste from body tissues, and enhance the body fluid dynamics, therefore will enable the reduction of oedema. In our search, we wanted to see what current research findings there were on MLD and whether its effects were beneficial enough to justify its use in our Australian healthcare system. Anything implemented in our healthcare needs to be evidence-based. 
Thus, the importance of whether this therapy has been tested enough to validify its use will be considered before anything else. The research process began with deciding what we wanted to know and what we didn't want to know. We decided on only wanting to focus on human trials, on post-operative patients regardless of the age, gender, ethnicity and the sort of surgery they had gotten performed. The reason why we are suggesting manual lymphatic drainage as a treatment option is because post-surgery, a lot of the patients experience swelling of the surgical sites and this is due to our inflammation response in our body. Our immune cells all rush to the location of the surgical site and try to repair the damage that has been done. When this happens, obviously there's a swelling of our tissues and there's a possibility of fluid getting accumulated on the site. This is why we are considering manual lymphatic drainage due to the mechanisms stated before there are possibilities that this therapy can help in the reduction of the swelling, also known as edema. At the moment, current studies are quite lacking. These studies are either saying that MLD as a monotherapy does work and is good for edema, or it does not work and it doesn't reduce edema at all. After reading all of these studies, Personally, I don't think there's a disadvantage in implementing MLD in our healthcare system. It will give our patients after surgery more options in reducing their post-operative edema. But I also understand our healthcare system is lacking in personnel. Whether they will have the time or funding to even implement this therapy is ambiguous. So I think for now it'd be worth considering and we shouldn't rush in implementing a new therapy. There are other interventions like compression and Riley will cover that. Thank you. Thanks, Sammy. So as Sammy mentioned, our lymphatic system plays quite a large role in treating edema. However, at times we live a busy life, so wearing daily compression garments can be a great way to keep the swelling at bay without a whole lot of effort required for patients in recovery. So what is compression? Compression garments are used to help improve insufficient blood flow that we usually see in cases of edema presenting. They work by applying an external force. This force enables venous and lymphatic return, which takes the pressure off the injury site of which trauma has occurred after surgery. Studies have gained a significant amount of evidence for the benefits of compression used on postoperative patients. This has been proven from a wide range of surgical wounds, such as knee, coronary bypass and abdominal operations, just to name a few. An example of compression can be thromboembolotic deterrent stockings, also known as TED stockings. They work by utilising the firm elastic providing graduated compression and are usually placed above the knee. This is important whilst being hospitalised as patients are not just at risk of developing edema but blood clots and deep vein thrombosis as well. Pressure must be applied carefully as poorly fitted garments can cause further complications such as skin irritation, chafing, bruising, as well as serious misuse leading to cutting off blood circulation. Split studies have found major differences when comparing compression versus non-compression wearing patients in their recoveries. Generally, we saw larger calf circumferences, delayed wound healing, and a range of motion as well as further discomfort described by non-compression wearing groups. 
Although compression therapy has been a widely used technique for many years in practice, discrepancies still exist within research in relation to length of time of compression use, as well as the amount of pressure that should be applied to surgical wounds. For example, some research indicates compression garments must be maintained and worn routinely for four weeks post-operation to see advantageous results, whereas other research suggests the quality of compression techniques worn by patients is the driving force for recovery. Conflicting recommendations is likely due to the fact that pain, discomfort and wound healing processes will always vary in time frame and extent of recovery for patients. Therefore, when considering recovery, it is definitely multifaceted. By all means, edema is not a one-size-fits-all approach. For example, many patients have benefited from chirotherapy, so I'll pass it on to Megan to fill you in. Uh, thanks, Riley. First, I'd like to start off by discussing what cryotherapy is. Cryotherapy, sometimes known as colotherapy, is the local or systemic application of low temperatures through several different methods. This includes cold dressings, cold packs, crushed ice bags, cooling pads, evaporative coolants and cold compression devices. So the way that cryotherapy works is that by lowering tissue temperature with the local application of cold, induces vasoconstriction in superficial blood vessels, which then decreases the blood flow in the surrounding tissues, ultimately reducing edema production. So what we want to know now is if there is evidence to indicate that cryotherapy is beneficial in managing post-operative edema. There's no doubt that cryotherapy has been widely recognised in many clinical areas and among various studies since its use in the 1960s. It has been shown in evidence to be a cost-effective and efficient treatment modality to assist in the reduction of edema in post-operative patients, especially in the acute phase of healing. This has been proven from a wide range of surgical procedures, including anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction, total knee arthroplasty, arthroscopic surgery of the shoulder, as well as intraoral surgeries. That being said, current published evidence shows that cryotherapy is used with controversial results. This is potentially due to the variation in cryotherapy methods, with evidence highlighting that there's just a lack of research regarding the consistency and appropriate duration and frequency in its use. It is therefore difficult to derive a firm conclusion on the benefits of its use, indicating the need for further research. With any treatment, it is important to discuss about any potential side effects, which brings us to the next and final question. What are the side effects to cryotherapy? There are a few potential side effects associated with the use of cryotherapy, which comes at a much higher risk in infants, young children and the elderly, as they may have an inability to regulate body temperature. Traditional forms of cryotherapy, such as cold packs and ice packs, applied directly on the skin subjected to minus 5 degrees or colder for a prolonged period of time, which is usually greater than 30 minutes, may lead to serious side effects such as frostbite and nerve injuries. Furthermore, it is recommended that direct skin contact should be avoided and a cloth or protection cover should be used to protect the skin to avoid the risk of thermal damage. Postoperative edema is an inevitable normal process after any trauma to the body like surgery. It can be bothersome for clients and have negative implications if left to prolong. 
Managing postoperative edema with a collaborative approach that involves considerations of comorbidities and their role in nutrition, MLD intervention, compression intervention, and cryotherapy. They all have benefits in edema that can be extended to postoperative edema, and a combined approach can maximize management of this condition. Thank you for tuning in today and join us next week where we will continue to break down all things edema.